0: Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the nonprofit news feed for the week of December 12th. It's 12/12/2022. That's a lot of twos. Like, that is the maximum twos for for quite some time. Now we're talking about a little CVS drama and catching up from last week from a from a little bit of a prediction
1: around Giving Tuesday. It went well. How's it going, Nick? It's going good, George. Yeah, we got to talk about Giving Tuesday. We're two weeks out from Giving Tuesday, two weeks to go until end of year. But looking back... At Giving Tuesday, the official Giving Tuesday results are in from the Giving Tuesday organization reporting a record-setting $3.1 billion in Giving Tuesday day donations, which represents a 15% increase over the amount of donations received in 2021. George, I have to give you a specific shout-out because not one week before Giving Tuesday, uh, you and the lovely folks at Whole Whale released a prediction of $3.2 billion, which is pretty darn close.
0: Yeah, the victory lap is there. I'm just glad that nobody is checking when I miss a prediction. But it was uh, pretty awesome when uh, GivingTuesday.org uh, slipped into my Twitter DMs to to give me the nod. I was like, yeah, we did it. Not sure what we did, but I'd say it is a positive indicator to see that year-over-year increase. I think it ties along with the huge numbers that Black Friday saw, Cyber Monday saw for, for spending. So that's there. But there is an underlying concern that I brought up leading up, which is the level of search, attention, and awareness potentially of the day doesn't seem to be growing, actually retracting if you look at the past five years of trends. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to, to give a why on that, but uh, those, are, those are other numbers that I'm watching. So good to see numbers in terms of donations go up. But always, always a fan.
1: Always a fan. Um, to your point, it'll be interesting to parse out those numbers a little bit. Um, I'd be interested to see number of donors, median and average donation, Um, whether donations have consolidated to specific nonprofit types, for example. Um, So whether some nonprofits benefited more than others, I'd be interested for the full report to see that breakdown. But all in all, still a healthy Giving Tuesday, Um, but excited to see uh, the final numbers there.
0: So then we also had a little bit of drama from CVS uh, I-, I thought my subject line was pretty solid on this one where, you know, the CVS, CSR needs a health check. Uh, Corporate Social Responsibility maybe uh, needs to review uh, how this one. Can you explain what happened with their 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 pledge?
1: Yeah, George, absolutely. So this uh, comes courtesy of Quartz, uh, the online publication. But CVS, in November of 2021... Uh, Their social responsibility team announced a $10 million commitment to the American Diabetes Association, or ADA, to be delivered over three years. However, what CVS failed to say in that statement was that uh, the donations were, in fact, not going to be made by them, but in some ways subsidized by customers at the the point of checkout, the point of service, um, in stores themselves. So when you go to CVS, you buy your... Toothpaste or whatever, and it says, Would you like to donate? It turns out that those were the donations uh, funding CVS's social responsibility announcement of $10 million. And uh, there is a lawsuit, which is seeking class action status, claiming that by failing to disclose the exact way in which the funds raised would be used, CVS committed fraud. Who knows how much of a legal standing that has, but either way, Maybe a little sketchy at best, uh, maybe fraud at worst. George, what's your take here?
0: Yeah, allegedly, we'll say. But actually, this seems to be what had occurred. You know, it is filed under for me uh, pledges are just PR. Organization, nonprofit are expecting these like corporate relationships, right? So you have CSR, corporate social responsibility, department saying, all right, let's you know, raise money for this uh, organization. Point of sale, though, is uniquely different in terms of donations than saying we directly pledge this much money that would say come from, I don't know, one or two percent of your profits. You know, famously, Patagonia was a beacon for this, where they were giving a percent of their actual revenue right off the book, right? That is not this. Um, And it's, as I understand it, set up, you have a point of sale donation offsetting a promise. 10 million commitment. That means if I'm at CVS and I'm getting guilt-tripped into, uh, you know, hey, do you want to round this up and feel like you're doing something good? All you're really doing is donating to the corporate bottom line of CVS because it's an offset dollar. If you didn't donate that dollar in that universe, that dollar still gets donated. It wasn't added to. It wasn't addition to. It was instead of a CVS dollar. You might as well I've just bought some toothpaste, which they do a fine job on. But this, uh, I just couldn't believe it didn't get more coverage. Like, I found it in the court. No offense to good good reporters at courts, but like, uh, that's, you know, not good, right? And it it, it casts a pall over the point of sale, meaning when you're at the register, rounding up and doing those donations of like, where does that actually go? Um, Question mark.
1: Didn't love this. Yeah. You hate to see it. And it also calls into question the the ways in which we hold accountable corporations that are making public pledges along the lines of corporate social responsibility. You know, we've talked about it uh <laughs> we've talked about it before. Um but uh <laughs> you know. There's the, there's the market angle, uh, you know, that, the whole kind of universe. Uh, yeah, we won't get into that, but uh, a point, uh, a data point here to...
0: Yeah, possibly mislabeled, like I think requires further investigation. But the question to me is, had customer donations exceeded the $10 million, where would those dollars have gone? Did that actually happen? Like that's where you get into... Broad, like I won't throw that word around lightly, but that's that's where you would cross that line.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Need some uh, investigative journalist to dig in a little deeper. <laughs> not us. Not, not us. us. <laughs> so wait, I'm hoping to see more on this. I just couldn't. I just
0: it just happened in the tumble of like people obsessed with like Sandbank and free getting arrested and like other uh you know drama as we round out the midterms and like uh, it just things like that can get lost. Uh that's why I love doing what we do. you just being paying attention being like, I feel like that was a that was a, a big thing. No. It's like I... who else is doing this? This type of like fake CSR pledges are just PR.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of different points of Nexus on uh the the corporate social responsibility angle these days. Um but I think you're right to to highlight this. I can take us into our next story though, and this comes from the New York Times. And this is well worth reading, I think, because it touches on a lot of different themes that we like to talk about on this podcast. But this was from the New York Times, published uh, just yesterday, actually. And the title is How a Hotel Was Converted into Housing for Formerly Homeless People. And it talks about a building in Dumbo, Brooklyn, which George, you and I both know Brooklyn well. Dumbo is an extremely affluent neighborhood in Brooklyn, very, very expensive place to live. This hotel was converted um, to a kind of subsidized housing unit for formerly homeless people. And it will have uh, 305 formerly homeless tenants, but will include a total of 500 units, a gym, computer lab, bike room, Rooftop terrace, but it will also have um, services, mental health services, job placement services for folks there. This is a really interesting partnership, um, that a really interesting project because it comes at a time where New York City is seeing since the the new age of homelessness, which is a somewhat new phenomenon in in modern American life, dating back to the 70s and 80s. Um, New York City homelessness is at its height. And the, quite frankly, just the math doesn't work. There is not enough housing. Um, and this seems like one project that could potentially pave the way for others. The problem is uh, the ability to convert hotels into affordable housing, which the city did in an emergency capacity during the pandemic. Uh, it turns out a lot of uh, owners of these properties don't want to do that. So, uh, you know, it remains to be seen how replicable this is. But I thought a really interesting and innovative project in a city that's in desperate need of affordable housing, uh, not only to help folks who are actually homeless, um, but folks on the verge of homelessness, which is alarmingly high.
0: I think this was literally across the street from our WeWork office. If I had, like, this was uh, in our backyard. I will say that you know the the conversion of these spaces and hotels, like it, it makes a lot of sense if you know the subsidies and the the space line up and services. It'll be hopeful to to see, you know, how you know, frankly it's so many problems when you pull back is affordable housing underneath it, like ta da, like that. So 500 units is is amazing. We love to see it in that backyard. And uh, I I will say, based on personal experience of that area, you are very close to that Manhattan Bridge. So I wonder how successful that hotel was being like over time trying to keep people in a a place that close to the Q train.
1: Yeah, no, I I walk by that every day. That's the A stop. It actually looks onto uh, corporate Etsy's building um, in addition to the bridges, which is kind of funny. Um, But yeah, I mean, this city's in desperate need of rent-stabilized, affordable housing. And like you said, we talk about the how all these different social issues are inextricably linked, um, but it almost always comes back to affordable housing being one of the biggest ones. Um, so, you know, uh, a path forward, maybe, um, but anyone who's owned or bought or rent property in New York knows its uh, labyrinthine process I Feel like doing
0: anything. I feel like we have to give a shout out to JustFix, one of our clients here, justfix.org, because they have done incredible work uh, as a nonprofit building uh, free tools for tenants to exercise their rights for that, uh, the need for affordable housing, especially in uh, New York. So if you are interested, I, you know, <laughs> we're biased, but we're also right check out check out justfix.org
1: 100% 100% all right i'll take us into our next story and this one comes from the washington free beacon which you might be thinking hmm that is not the washington it sounds like Post. a real no it sounds like a real paper when you say it like that right it sounds like a real You've paper you got freedom in there you
0: got beacon in there you got washington what's to be suspicious of
1: Well, um, legitimate news outlet, this is not. The Washington Free is seems like kind of a localized, uh, a Breitbart, if you will, Uh, kind of a far-right digital publication uh, out of Washington. But it has written a story uh, with the title, Stacey Abrams, Georgia Nonprofit Could Face Criminal Investigations for Unlicensed Fundraising. Um, Is Stacey Abrams going to jail? No, uh, this article is, of course, has a little bit of an agenda, um, but it does bring up a point where nonprofits need to be careful, and particularly politicized organizations or organizations operating in the political space need to be extra vigilant about playing defense. Um, this article uh, relates to the the Georgia nonprofit uh, registering to actually be a C3 in different states. If you're soliciting online donations, you need to register in, I think, every state if you're a certain size. I think, George, you know better than I. And, and uh, kind of failure to do so opens you up to, quite frankly, you know, bad faith articles like this. But that being said, um, kind of a cautionary tale for maybe having to be a little extra buttoned up there.
0: Yeah, this is actually more accurately, like. First off, if you are in the limelight, yeah, you have to keep your papers tight. You have to keep your registration, especially in and nonprofit state fundraising, especially if you're over uh, a certain amount of donations and when you're at that level. Uh, but really like this is this is basically state by state paperwork that nonprofits have to fill out for soliciting because this is an archaic system applied to nonprofits before the age of the internet. Before someone had a donate button which Objectively speaking, if you have a donate button, you are soliciting. You are saying, "Hey, if you are in Colorado, Mississippi, Tennessee, you are soliciting those donors potentially because you have this open web form." Yeah. Um, it is an anachronism. It is ridiculous that nonprofits have to do it. If you do it yourself, Cogency Global, who we interviewed on episode 140, so if you want to go, if you want to go deep on this, or you're just like, hmm, maybe we should check on that. I got, I have that in you on episode 140 as we talk about it, but it could take up to 200 hours. If you're just like running around trying to in every single state. So this is a dark spot in your nonprofit knowledge. Do a quick look. Uh, but yeah, there's a, you know, this is uh, much ado about nothing, but I bring it up, uh, as you mentioned, because it, it opens up uh, scrutiny, right? It's a headline that can get taken, uh, misread and used as fodder in an appropriate way. Yes,
1: I agree with that. A uh, cautionary tale. Um, George, wouldn't it be great if we just digitized all the all that bureaucracy? You mean the internet
0: or acted like the United States are actually like united and you could have a donate button on your website without needing to file independently with different fees, uh, paperwork, and requirements in a good number of those states? Oh, I like how we're doing it right now.
1: Hmm, okay. Hot take, hot take. <laughs> uh... Potentially a more notable and legitimate take, we uh, wanted to highlight Crane's 2022 Notable Women in Nonprofits, which has released its annual list. And the, the subtitle here is this diverse group of women are leaders in service in their communities, utilizing skills and leadership, finance, human resources, human service, fundraising, community development, and much more to champion their nonprofit's mission and be fiscal stewards of donor funds. Uh, George, I'll, I'll pass it to you for kind of why why we include lists like these in the rundown.
0: Yeah, and this was at a Cranes Detroit business. What I like here is uh, nonprofits being called out in a business publication. I like lists that celebrate folks. I also think it's kind of clever too by Cranes because you can only get the full list if you subscribe. I think these are really smart strategies for gated content. Gated content being a fancy word for saying, hey, submit your email if you want to read the thing. Uh, I think nonprofits can do this. I think a lot of organizations have an opportunity to say, we curated this list. It is awesome. Here are three things. Would you like to see the 30 things? By submitting your email, they are then hopefully brought into your uh, communication engine and nurturing towards ideally a donor. So this is uh, also, you know, kind of twofold.
1: That's why I threw it in here. Mm, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Uh, no, we love to see it. I look, we How need a list, if- like the list of the,
0: <laughs> like, I don't know. I had tons of these lists for like, you know, list of top nonprofits on TikTok, on YouTube, on Twitter, but we just give them away. Cause I'm like about the SEO and then the capture, but uh, mm-hmm.
1: there's, there's a strategy here. Don't be surprised if we're pulling something out like that. Buzzfeed for nonprofits, George. We'll oh, 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 we'll work we'll workshop that. Uh, but how about a feel good story? What do you got, Nick? All right, this one comes from NBC Southern California, and it's about a Santa Clarita nonprofit organization unveiling horseless carriages. Uh, so this nonprofit, it's basically the Tesla of carriages, fully electric uh no horses involved but still classy looking uh horse-drawn carriage type things um the organization says the idea is to give folks the nostalgic horse-drawn carriage experience without the exploitation of the horses the article talks about how there's been controversy after a horse collapse on a particularly hot day in new york city in central park horse-drawn carriages are a staple of central park and this could potentially be a uh, a solution there, um, George. I feel like every like three years in New York, there's a, some big something about horse-drawn carriages. Everyone gets really into this argument, and then nothing happens. And maybe this is maybe this is the thing that that changes that.
0: Yeah. I, all I can think about is like the Ford quote of like, if I had asked the public what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. <laughs> I, I like it. Look, instead of trying to, here's what I really like about the approach. Instead of trying to ban and restrict and break a tradition, you come in with a solution. You're going to get a lot farther if you have the alternatives in your back pocket. And also, by the way, it's probably more cost effective. And, Tourists will, you know, still want to take that ride around. These things look solid. Like, it's just a solutions-oriented building instead of burning approach uh, to, um, to how things will probably actually get changed in, uh, in the world. So, thumbs up.
1: Yeah. George, do you remember when, like, Liam Neeson inserted himself into this whole argument? <laughs>
0: I didn't know the world was waiting for Liam Neeson's hot takes on uh, horse-drawn carriages, but I'm, you know, I'm not surprised. Like, I think animal rights activists have a uh, a very uh, firm stance and justified one uh, at, at that. In our you know age of age of mobility, I, I think we can we can get past
1: this type of treatment of uh, of horses. I agree, although I will fall. <laughs> We'll follow that up, saying, Adison was definitely on the pro carriage side of this debate." Oh, was uh, he? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but I will leave that to the listeners for their uh, for their own time. I mean, like, look up the Seinfeld
0: rant on like how horses feel that we measure everything in horsepower, like 200 horsepower. The horse sitting there, I get it. You're faster. Stop dropping it in. <laughs> like, we did this already. Uh, yeah, no, I think there's a way to to serve. Serve both needs. That's uh it's a good, it's a good happy story. I really check a lot of boxes for me, I, Nick. I do have one final question for you. What do you wear to a nonprofit fundraiser hosted at high tea? I do not know. I'm pretty sure you can get this one, a t-shirt, Nick, a t-shirt. It's in the name. <laughs> what? Well, that's what you get for making it to the end of this podcast. Uh, you know, leave us a reviewer rating for the end of the year. We'll probably do another one for the end of the year. Maybe not, but thanks for listening. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks, as always, to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.